Brother Mark and his family are here today. We're uh, very excited and pleased to have them. And we're going to ask Brother Mark to come and share his heart with us as God leads, and we'll go from there. Good morning. It's good to be here. We've been looking forward to this. Uh, I've been, been wanting to meet Sam and talk to him about raising daughters since I got to spend a little time with Kate in New Guinea back in 2007. Uh, it was a, that was a, a joy, and we've been looking forward to this. We're also looking forward to it because tonight we're going to be back at our own beds <laughs> after about seven weeks on the road. So we're. Uh, we're excited about that too. I like to say up front too that I have borrowed in my message today from a guy named David Nolte. I just like to give credit where credit is due. I'm not generally quoting him directly, but some of the stuff he said I couldn't improve on, so I'm just using some of his words. I just don't. I don't. I don't like to do that without giving credit. So um, we're going to read a couple of passages to start with. Um, you put your finger in James four and then go over to Philippians uh, chapter two. And I like the whole standing while we read the scripture thing. So why don't we do that? Uh, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5 and going through verse 11. It's a very familiar passage. I'm reading from the ESV. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And then over in James 4, just a couple of verses, um, 13 and 14. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you be with us this morning. I ask that you help me to speak in a way that glorifies you and that uh, my sinful nature will not come through in this, God, that only, only the things that glorify you. In Christ's name, amen. So James asks the question, what is your life? People make plans during the summer but uh, the Bible says that your life is a vapor or a mist. Um, I have, uh, my parents are both the youngest of their families and thus a lot of my aunts and uncles have passed away and I was talking to an aunt some years ago and it was a few years after her, my uncle had died and she said that it did not get easier 
as the years go by to be to have that have my uncle gone uh, they were married some 50 odd years And uh, you now my parents are both in their 70s now, and they have maybe I may maybe my mom one year or two old. She might be 70 this year. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I was trying to help her out. <laughs> as far as I know, she's still 39. That's what she told me when I was a kid. Will always be 39. But uh, and my dad has passed the average lifespan for an American man, and he spent a lot of his life in Africa, um, as we all did. Um, my mom is approaching the average lifespan of women in the U.S. So, you know, I know that their time is coming. Their, their vapor is about gone. But I know you guys, there's like an Air Force base not too far from here, I think. Anyway, I know you guys have all seen jets going across the sky that leave that white trail, and it looks really clear when it's coming out of the jet. And it, I don't know if you've ever just kind of stood around and watched it until they they're gone, but it doesn't take long. It takes about 15 minutes, and you can't see them anymore, depending on how the you know how strong the wind is. And you may see another trail coming while that one's fading. But shortly, there's no evidence that there was ever a trail there. And in the greater scheme of things, start talking about the age of the world and how long we live. We have about 15 minutes, in to do what what we're here for. And uh, I'm 43, I'll be 44 later this year. And so, you know, like eight and a half of my minutes are gone. <laughs> uh, so what have I spent it doing? And, and I, I'm not really excited about the first half of my life, I'll just tell you. I know God's sovereign and he uses that, but it's, there's, God really blessed me in that while I was still an unbeliever, he brought me together with Belinda, who was also not a believer at the time. We would have both told you that we were. But God chose to save us later. But looking back, I can certainly see how his hand was guiding me even when I wasn't, when I was, when I wasn't seeking him. And I'm thankful for that every day. Um, not too long ago, I was asked to come speak at a little Christian school in Brownsville. And the principal said they, they had been talking about the differences between believers and non-believers and she kind of wanted me to follow up on that some more so we talked about how can you tell the difference between believers and unbelievers and sometimes it's hard you we just we talked about you know you can't necessarily tell the difference between believers and unbelievers by the way they dress or by what they eat where they go what they spend their time doing and then we thought well maybe you ought to be able to tell the difference both by some of those things um, it's easy to claim to be a Christian I did it for a lot of years and I knew the answers that people wanted when they would ask me are you a Christian I knew what to say and most people believed that I was a Christian um, I, I know I did but that was because I, my understanding was you shake a preacher's hand and say a prayer and get baptized you're good to go and if you stay in church that's even better But um, I got the opportunity, and I shared this with Susan the other day, I got the opportunity to go to Haiti the, earlier this year after the earthquake. And I'm here to tell you that there is a big difference between Christians and non-Christians in Haiti. It's not that the Christians have more, 
but they're generous with what they have. They were the non-Christians that we that we ran into, and we stayed largely on a church property and were trying to minister to a specific church. But we had some outsiders that were coming in because they were hungry and we were feeding and that was fine. But the people that were from the church were thankful and helpful and gentle and kind and non, not presumptuous at all. But some of the non-believers that came through there would cuss us and ask us where their food was. And I, I was just completely taken aback. I've never seen anything like that. I've, I've gotten to do a little bit of... Uh, humanitarian work like that before but I've never I've never run into a people that were just so ungrateful for for what was given to them and Haiti's an experience if you get a chance to go there I'd go you probably won't want to go back but driving out of the Dominican Republic I just have this picture in my mind because the Dominican Republic is green and lush and it's there's they grow a lot of things there it's not a rich country there's a lot of poverty there but people are able to grow stuff and there is almost a line as you cross into Haiti where it's rocky and dusty and I just think of the word God forsaken it, it's it's unbelievable it's just that they're part of the same island and yet Haiti is just nothing the trees are dead and the people are obviously so many of them are spiritually dead with this but where the, but where the Christians are they were they were having church services every night after the earthquake they weren't they didn't normally do that but after the earthquake they were getting together every night and praising God and it was it was a beautiful thing in 1904 how many of you guys have ever heard of William Borden William Borden was uh, the heir to the Borden dairy group and um, in 1904 he graduated from a Chicago high school and he was already a millionaire. And this was in 1904, so they had some serious money. And as his graduation gift, his parents sent him on a round-the-world trip on, on ships. And what started as a pleasure trip became the tool that God used to change his heart. Uh, he went through Asia, the Middle East, and Europe. And when he, but when he saw the suffering and burdened people, especially in China... His heart was moved, and when he got back from his trip, he told his family, actually he wrote a letter from the trip telling his family when he got back, he was going to dedicate his life to missions. He was, and um, when he, so one of his friends said he couldn't believe he was going to throw, his way, throw away his life as a missionary. But he took his Bible, and he opened the cover, and he wrote inside, no reserves. So what do you mean by that? Well, in war, reserves are what you keep back in case the fighting gets really bad. But William Borden assumed that giving his all to Christ meant taking his all with him and not holding back anything. He had, I believe, the mind of Christ that it talks about in Philippians chapter 2. And that he didn't hold, he was, Christ came to earth and he didn't, he didn't hold anything back in reserve. He came and, and gave, gave his all. Um, a lot of times I'll, I'll be talking about his mindset as a missionary, but I think if you, as we go through this, you'll see this is, should be the mindset of all Christians, whether you're a missionary by trade or a missionary by sending or an evangelist or whatever, that, whatever it is you're doing as a Christian, this should be our mindset. 
Think about it. God had one son, and what did he do? That's like the ultimate cross-cultural experience. Come from heaven to earth. And he did, a, he did the work of a missionary. So Paul urges us to have that same mindset. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So how does that play out in life? Uh, we consider Christ. He's our most important role model. I mean, we... I like a lot of people say, well, I want to do things like Paul did, and I want to do things, you know. We're supposed to be like Christ. We're supposed to be being conformed to the image of Christ. He was a resident of heaven, worshipped by angels, and he left that to come to a world that was going to crucify him, which was, a, as far as I understand, was the most painful way they could think of to kill somebody. Um, but he left without reservation, without hesitation, without argument, and with no reserves. He gave, he gave it all up. He set aside his his godliness, and I don't even know what that his godness, and I don't know what that means. I don't I don't know how he became fully man and was fully God, but I know that's what the Bible says, so I'm I'm gonna roll with it. So we're told to have that same mind, that same attitude. Are, are we willing to serve and to obey him with no reserves? So I want us to examine our lives, uh, things that. Are there things in our lives that we esteem more highly than we ought to? Are, we, are there things we esteem more highly than God? Um, I know I, things sneak up on me in my life where I, you know, it was once a useful hobby and it can become almost an obsession where I am more concerned if I get to do that than if I spend my time with Christ in the morning or in the evening or whenever I, whenever I do it. But some of the things that may hold us back are material possessions. You know, I can't give up my house. I, car, my money. I mean, our material possessions can certainly become idols to us. Um, it may be personal pursuits, uh, some athletic thing, uh, just entertainment, pursuing more and more education. Not that education is bad, please don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm all for it. But these activities can become idols in our lives also. It may be some detrimental relationship that that you have uh, I've heard of more than one problem with things that start off perfectly innocently that lead down the road to a relationship that never was never was meant to be never neither person ever wanted it but they find themselves and it can be something just as benign as Facebook um, you can Emotional affairs have started by, by just simply some man writing a kind comment to a woman on Facebook, and she hasn't had a kind word from her husband in a month, and she is looking for something. And just things like that happen. And so I know sometimes not a very many young people here. I was, I've, been with them. <laughs> I've been with them all weekend. So. But, I mean, the, the relationships with non-Christians, I mean, we're, not, we're, not, we're supposed to have relationships with non-Christians. Uh, it'd be hard to share with them if we didn't. But um, that should be our focus in our relationships with non-Christians. Should be the the thing that we're working towards is to share the gospel with these with folks who have never heard. Uh, maybe an attitude that we get from living in the states, and this is something that I've certainly had to deal with. Um, we're told every day that we're we have a right to stuff. I don't and. 
when I hear it spoken outright, it's easy to say, no, we don't have a right to this, we don't have a right to that. It's, that's not what the forefathers meant when they wrote the Constitution, that you have a right to whatever's being said that you have a right to. But I know that sometimes the way I act, it's as though I expect it. Um, I have people, I forget, I forget sometimes I don't have the right to be comfortable all the time. Um, I don't have the right to not be inconvenienced. Um, I think one of my favorite things is somehow we've in this country come to think we have a civil right not to be offended. Uh, as Christians, I, I have to remind myself I, when I became a Christian, when God saved me, I was drafted into a war. It's not, uh, you know, I've, I've heard some ladies say, you know, God saved me, and these are little old ladies usually, they say, God saved me, and it's just been wonderful ever since. Well, it is wonderful, but it's hard. The world hates us. Um, Jesus told his disciples, the world's going to hate you. They hated me, they're going to hate you. Um, maybe it's fear. Fear of being rejected. I, that's, that's, that's been a problem for me my whole life. I, I, I'm not a self-confident guy, and I second-guess myself, and I wonder what people think about me. But whatever, any of these things that might be bothering us, Jim Elliott said, and you, know, you guys have all heard this, he's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So as, we, as, as, as the Holy Spirit turns up the light in our lives and reveals to us things that are, have become idols, let's not be, let's not be slow to, to confess that and, and get rid of it. William Borden sacrificed a lot to serve Christ with, uh, with no reserves. Like I said, he was already a millionaire. He went to Yale, which was a, still a seminary, I, I believe, back then, to prepare for the mission field. And he had an amazing impact on the campus. You can, you can Google William Borden and read some of the stuff that he did on campus. And, I mean, Bible studies were started and prayers that, you know, prayer groups that went on for just, like, constant praying because he I mean he just this is the kind of thing that God had had him doing even while he was preparing for what he, for what God had for him down the road um, after he wrote the words no reserves in his Bible right after that he wrote no retreat if you have no reserves there's really nowhere to retreat um, Jesus didn't come and do a half job when he came to earth and he prayed, you know, if, if it's your will, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thine. And he went and saw it through. The prophet Isaiah spoke of this when he wrote, uh, this is Isaiah 50, verses 5 through 7. The Lord has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know I shall not be put to shame. Um, Luke records Christ's no retreat attitude when, I really like the way the, I've got this in the ESV, but the, the uh, King James says it, I, I like the way it says it better, but it says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. I think the King James uses the word resolutely. Um, he set his face resolutely to go to, to go to Jerusalem. And he knew what was coming. You know, 
most of the time reformed people don't sing the hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus. But if we look at it in the sense that we're Christians, we have to decide to follow Christ every day. It's killing the flesh. It's just it's a daily thing. So I, if, if I'm ever in a place and they're singing that, and I can sing it with that in, at my heart, then, that today I have decided because I'm a Christian and I can decide to follow Christ today. Um, and there's, there's, not, there's no turning back. I, I mean, there is, there's not. If, for those who are truly saved, we persevere. Um, David said, I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. You guys know the story of Cortez when he came into, from Spain to conquer Mexico. He had 11 ships and he burned all of them. He said, we're not going back. We're, we're not, there's no, this is it. We're here, we're here to do a job. And uh, that's kind of what it takes to follow Christ, to, have, uh, to be faithful with, with no reserves and, and no retreat. Borden's life was given to God with no reserves and he wouldn't retreat. He completed his studies at Princeton to prepare for missionary work and he sailed for China to work among the Muslim people, the, they're called the Hui. Um, and on his way, he stopped over in Egypt for some final preparations for the trip and he contracted spinal meningitis and died at 25. Um, and some people would say, you know, what a waste. But those who looked in his Bible saw that after he wrote with no reserves and no retreat, just shortly before he died, he wrote no regrets. And, you know, I'm sure the disciples were, when Jesus died on the cross, they were afraid. They thought that it was over. I don't know, maybe Satan thought he won. I don't know what Satan thought. I know he doesn't know the future. You know, uh, James Calvert was a missionary that went out to the, uh, the Fiji Islands when cannibals still roamed there. And the ship's captain told him, he said, you will lose your life and the lives of those with you if you go among such, such savages. And Calvert said, we died before we came here. Um, so no reserves means no retreat. And no retreat means no regrets. Now, I talked earlier about War of Vapor, and I, I can't say that I don't have any regrets from the first part of my life. Um, and I'm sure that I will have more because I'm still imperfect. But um, this is kind of going along with the last two verses of the passage from Philippians that Christ left heaven to be a servant, and he died, and he's buried. And he rose again and has been exalted, and now he has no regrets. I don't believe Christ had any regrets through any of that. So we're told to have the same mind and the same attitude as he had. But what if we have to give up our best things or our most cherished dreams, uh, our desire for safety or our lives? Is, is there regret in that? Paul says in Romans 8, says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So there's no regret there. Second Corinthians, he says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, where the things that are seen are transient, the things that are unseen are eternal. 
So I don't see any regrets there. The book of Hebrews says, For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work with the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show that same earnestness to have full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Patience has been difficult for us in this process. We, I've, in July, it'll be four years since I met David Sitton and Tommy and, and Rod and got a burden for missions. And this past January was three years since I went to the church planting school. But uh, as Christians, we face a changing world. Uh, one thing that's not changing is it's pretty much always been hostile to Christianity. Uh, so some application for our lives. Is like everybody's life is a vapor, whether it's George Bush, Obama, Hitler, Billy Graham, mine, yours. It's, it's, we're all vapor. We don't, we don't know how much time we have. And there are many vapor trails that don't pay attention to Christianity or Christians at all. History kind of runs in cycles, and there have been a lot of times when people have tried to write off Christianity. And just a few weeks ago, and you can Google this, um, the guy that was the presidential nominee for the uh, head of the uh, TSA, Transportation Safety, was uh, doing an interview, and he listed fundamental Christians right after terrorists as people that are being watched. Now, he may have a specific brand of fundamental Christians in mind, but he didn't say it. Um, there are a lot of people uh, that think that the world would be better off if Christians weren't, weren't around. Sometimes it gets better in history, sometimes it gets worse. Um, before World War I, there was a guy named George Bernard Shaw. He wrote My Fair Lady and some other things, but he was part of a member of a group that's called the Fabian Socialist Society. And they had this idea that through their intellectualism, they were going to think the world into some kind of utopia. It would just have peace and happiness and joy and wouldn't have anybody that was too rich. We wouldn't have anybody that was too poor. Everything would just be great. Uh, they believed that the problem in society was inequity and injustice. Does that sound familiar, by the way? So they believed Christianity was a failure and the Bible was a book for fools. And in 1912, they wrote an outline, and this outline by the Fabian Socialist Society. They listed things they didn't need anymore. Among those things were Christianity and the Bible and the belief in God. And they said they were going to pull down the mountains of wealth and use them to build up the valleys of poverty. Again, the whole equality thing. And uh, they were going to... They said this would happen through the biological process and intellectualism, so basically evolution is going to do away with Christians eventually. They also said there was no need for repentance, there's no need for talking about sin, there's no need for theology. And the interesting thing is I hear people who claim to be Christians say some of these same things. Don't, you don't have to talk about sin. Uh, you, can, you can have Christ without repentance. Uh, I don't see that in here, though. Um, I haven't been able to find that. I perhaps uh, some other book that is uh, inspired by God. Oh, never mind, there's not one of those. 
So anyway, that's what these Fabian socialists taught. And, and in fact, H.G. Wells, who was one of these guys, he wrote, Utopia is not far off. But there was this guy in Germany, this Kaiser, and he had a whole different plan. And so you had World War I from 1914 to 1919. And then we had the Roaring Twenties, and there was some revival in the church, so the people in the church weren't clubbing with the people who weren't in the church. And then these Fabian socialists came back and they said, well, now we've done away with all the evil. Everything's going to be good. But then there was this guy in Germany again with this funny mustache. And he did some amazingly evil things. Um, millions and millions of men, women, and children were slaughtered through World War II. Somewhere in World War II, H.G. Wells <laughs> figured out that they were not going to do it with evil. He did not figure out that Christ was, was the answer to what he was looking for. But he wrote that he wrote a book that's called Mind at the End of Its Tether. It basically said the human race is one that's blank on the inside. But what he wrote in this book, he said, young people are a mistake. Middle age is folly and old age is a regret. So why am I talking about this? Well, just to let you know, politicians come and go, but nothing changes very much from one, one situation to another. They all tell us they're going to give us utopia by wasting our money on various things. But back to having the mindset of Christ. So I'm, I asked myself this morning, what about me? Is my mindset like that of Christ? What about you? Will we serve and give and share and tell with no reserves? Will we go and give with no retreat? Will we faithfully endure so that we won't have regrets? How can we make that kind of commitment? First, we need to remind ourselves who God is. He is a sovereign Lord and is due our obedience. We're, we're, we are, he deserves that. He's, it's due him because of just because of who he is, and he's due it without any reserves. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift, and we can serve him without, without losing. C.T. Studd said, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. I love these missionary quotes. They say things. I wish, I, I wish I'd have thought of that. <laughs> but remember that the light of God surrounds us, and no darkness can overcome us. The love of God enfolds us, and no hatred can conquer us. The power of God sustains us, so no weakness can undo us. The presence of God goes with us, so no loneliness can defeat us. And the call is for those who will follow where he leads, go where he sends, without reserves, without retreat, and without regret. And I know that I didn't go as long as the time you gave me, but this you said share my heart, and this is what was on my heart. <laughs> When I uh, told my dad that I felt like God had called me to preach, he said, well, let me tell you just one thing. I'm not going to try to give you a bunch of advice. He said, when you're through, quit. 
<laughs> and I thought that was good advice. So, uh, you know, share what's on your heart and leave, leave the results up to God. So it's such a blessing to have you all here. We're looking forward to uh, more time this afternoon together. And uh, we, uh, God has blessed us here with a, uh, with a real heart for for folks who who are who are on the front lines, and we we're very thankful for that. Uh, and I still remember when <laughs> you look back and you you do see God's hand in so many things, and uh, and you wonder how it is He could save a wretch like me. And with God's call on your life, there's just, uh, it, I, I think the older I get, the more I understand what Paul would say and others would say. I, uh, Paul said, I'm the least of the apostles. I, I persecuted the very church. He looked back and saw that evil in his life and God had used it in a powerful way, but it was there. It was, And he remembered that. And, and Isaiah, as he stands in God's presence and he falls on his face, and, and you know, the, the nearer we get to God, the more desperately we're aware of our sin, our nature that, and how desperately we need Christ and I, I, I can't escape it in this life I can fight it and deal with it by God's grace but uh, there's a day coming when I will be set free from that but I'm to labor in the fields now and to strive to my uttermost I, I like C.T. Studd, he said a lot of neat things and uh, I like reading out to him but, uh, thank you Mark for being here and uh, Appreciate your life and your ministry and ask God to continue to bless you all as you go forth. I know the time is short and you're going to be going. And that's exciting. And a little scary, but it's exciting. And uh, God won't lead you where he won't take care of you. I know that for a fact. Well, let's stand together and have a word of prayer. I encourage you that you can stay for lunch. Do so. We're going to have a time of fellowship. And uh, Brother Mark will be sharing with us and sharing some slides with us this afternoon. And uh, look forward to that as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love for us, and we ask for your grace on this time today. Father, thank you that uh, you not only have designed the, me the, the salvation that comes through Christ, but you've designed the means as well. And Lord, you send people out. You use them as instruments in your hand for change, to, to bring the gospel to those who need to hear your voice. And Lord, you've not sent angels to do that. You've sent us to declare your truth, to to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're thankful, Father, for the tremendous responsibility you've given us. And I, Lord, I, I think of what my brother said, how each of us, Lord, we're, we're responsible right where we are. If you send us overseas, we're responsible there. If you leave us here at home, we're responsible here to live for you and to share the gospel because, Lord, our, our lives are truly so short. But all we have is the beat of our heart at this very moment, Lord, nothing else is promised. The Lord, teach us to number our days that we might exalt you in our lives. We thank you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.